Well, it's officially begun. It starts every year. I think it's June the 1st, and it goes to November 30th. It is officially hurricane season. And every time I think about this time of year, uh, I don't know where your mind goes, but mine goes back to 2004, and we just moved to Florida a few years before, and hurricanes were, I'd heard about these things called hurricanes, but really never really experienced them other than on the Weather Channel, and uh, so we're living in Florida, and suddenly, you know, you start to see these things in the news, and the alerts, and you get the cones, and the paths, and the different dots, and the colored uh, the things, where places it could go, and it's this wide space, and then the space gets smaller and smaller as the days get closer and closer. And suddenly, about a day before the, this Hurricane Francis hit, we realize it is coming our way to Vero Beach, Florida. And uh, when that happens, uh, and suddenly everyone realizes it's coming, uh, you something just flips, okay? You begin to realize, I've got to get food and water and you know, we start to think, okay, this is coming. We've got to board up the house. And uh, so we're looking for wood everywhere. And uh, everyone else is thinking the same thing. So they're going to the stores. You go to the, the different aisles that just cleared, okay? Water just cleared off the shelves, cans gone. It's just like a ghost town in Walmart and in Publix. That's the Florida grocery store. And just everywhere. We go to Home Depot. And I was in the line that wrapped around Home Depot waiting for plywood, okay? Now, when you're in a little town and there's only one Home Depot, that ain't a lot of plywood, okay? All right, so you're waiting for the trucks to come and pull in, and literally they are pulling it off these 18-wheelers and selling it right there on the spot, Okay, we're going through the church looking for anything. Let's break something up to board up, to, you know, let's break up this table and let's, you know, nail it outside to the windows so that the wind and the, the forces of this hurricane will not affect the church and, and other places. And we're helping people. We're trying to gather supplies. It reminds me a lot. There's a phrase that I, I heard recently, the irreducible minimum. Okay, there's a lot of things that we feel like that we have to have Okay, you, if you have kids, you know about this phrase, I have to have this, Mom. Dad, I've got to have one of these. But when you're in those moments, you begin to realize the things that you really do have to have, the things that you really do have to have, the most important things. And so we're trying to find these supplies, and we have a family in our church that said, you know, we've got a newer house. We know that you're, kinda, you're in a parsonage, an older house. We're not really sure about construction and stuff there. So come, there's, you know, codes were a little better when we, when we made our, our house was built. So come on over. We go and stay at this, this family, the Reese Millers, and, and we have another family with us. I believe there were six adults and four, three or four teenagers and about four or five dogs and cats. And we're, we're boarded up in this house and the hurricane, it comes right over us. Okay. And we are right in the middle of it and you lose power and you just are hearing the sounds outside. I don't know if you've ever been in a hurricane. You just hear sounds, the wind whipping everywhere, that, no electricity. You're just, and somewhere in the middle of the night, we hear this noise. And you can't go to sleep because of the, just you're, you're anxious, you're thinking about everything. We hear this noise. And the, the, the window, the, the actual window pane, that, that frame, I don't think it's the pane, it's the glass, the frame, it starts to wiggle and come in the house. So we're taking turns, the guys, you know, because that's a guy thing to do. We're like holding back, taking turns, holding back the window that's moving in. Yeah, that happened. 
okay? And, and for, obviously, we, we made it. Uh, we made it out. You get out of this situation, and you begin to just look around, and you're like, wow, this is the devastation, homes lost, and things. And you just see people. When you see people for the first time, you're like, <gasps> and you hug them, and you're like, oh, that's so good to see you. And we begin to help people in, in the situation and try to help with homes and, and help with food. But during that situation, and we didn't have power for, I think it was 12 days, 14 days, and you're back to that irreducible, minimal things that you have to have. You go, do you have to have AC in Florida? No. You don't have to have it. Right? Do you have to have t- TV? Do you have to have cable TV? No, you don't have to have that. Do you have to have running water? Uh, no. Do you have to have indoor plumbing? No, and it's so hot, you're, you're, you're staying out in tents outside. It was an eerie feeling, just the darkness because of the no power and no cell signal. Remember, we didn't have cell phones. How do you communicate with people? And just remembering, just kind of getting to that place of just kind of minimalistic things that you were just, there was just this thing that kind of drives you down to the, the basics. And, and the, really the basic thing that kind of drives us is, quite honestly, it's staying alive. Like, what are the things that I had? The minimal, what am I, staying alive. These are the most important kind of things. And, and being in one of those moments, it kind of reminds us of that. And it reminds you, thankful for life, thankful for those, those times. But when we get to this minimum, it, it had me thinking of the things that, that we are the most important, the most things that we have to have. And I think Paul's kind of driving around this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to be jumping around everywhere this morning, but 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll start. And he says this. He's, he's speaking to church in Corinth, and I, I think he's really talking about this, this irreducible minimum, the most important thing when he says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. Some, some versions, the gospel, the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm at it, in it. It is the good news that saves you. If you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place, I passed it on to you what was most important, the most important thing, and what has been passed on to me. And here it is. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. There's a lot of things in our lives. There are a lot of things as Christians we can pile on to the, just to make life complicated, and we've got a lot of things happening and juggling and stuff, but when it comes down to it, the irreducible minimum of faith, and we share this with other denominations and other places, it's, this is the minimum. This is where we, we kind of stand together. Jesus came to this earth. He lived, and he died for us. But the good news is that he was raised to life again. And this gives us the greatest hope in all the world. This is the good news that we can have life. We were dead in our sin, but now because of Jesus Christ, we can be made alive. When we put our faith and our trust in him, that's, that's the irreducible minimum of faith, that we would, we would live in that place. And I hope that you have had that aha moment. I hope that you have, you know, maybe you've heard those words all your life, okay? What I just said is, is nothing new, but maybe you've heard all your life, but there has been a moment that you got it, 
that you realize that Jesus really does love you, that he would love you so much that he would, he would die for you. He would die for you and be raised to life. That, I hope that you have, you've realized that. And, and in the middle of that, as we, we, we hopefully take that on and, and personify that, God has called us to, to something and, and helped us to see things. In 2 Corinthians, he's talking again to the church in, church in Corinth. And he says this, that, that, you know, we have this hope, we have this faith, and we can't wait till we get to heaven. We can't wait till one day we're going to be in heaven. But you know what? Until then, we, we've got a, a goal. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, our goal, our purpose is to please him, to please him. Now, tonight on RTA, Sunday night, yes, tonight at RTA, they're going to arrive in a cabin in Colorado. It's one of my favorite moments. They're going to go out into a field, in a field where there are no cell signals. There is, it's like down to the minimum, folks, of, of being out into creation. And there's mountains all around, and, and this beautiful field, and you're, you could possibly see an, an elk or a moose wander right there in front of you. And you have this, this divine moment, and we, we read Genesis 1, the creation story. God, creator, he created us. Why did he create us? Why did he create us? He created us for this reason. Colossians tells us he created everything through him and for him. We were created for his glory. We were created in the beginning for relationship with him, to bring glory and honor to God. That's the reason why we exist. That's the why. That's the why of it all. We were created for that purpose and that reason. In 2 Corinthians, he keeps talking. And he was like, well, there's the why. We were created for God and for his pleasure and for relationship with him and for glorifying him, to worship him with all of our lives, everything that we do. Well, what is the, this, this next part? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says this, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. What, what is he talking about here? What is this responsibility we have? It's the mission that we have. It's the mission we have. We have a why. We, we were here. We were created to have relationship with God, but we also have a mission as well. And the mission is this. Jesus' last words in, in Matthew, he's gathered his disciples together. He's gone to the cross. He's been resurrected. He's gathered them all together and said this, I have authority that you don't know anything about, authority that's out of this world, a kind of authority. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. Go and make disciples of all men. That's the mission. And that wasn't the mission just for them. It was the mission for us. That's our mission. Every one of us. It doesn't matter if you have pastor in front of your name. Your mission on this earth is to go and to make disciples of all men. We take that on. That's, that's our responsibility as, as we are people that have gotten it that we've had our eyes open, that we realize that Jesus does love us, that Jesus did create us for this purpose, this divine purpose of relationship with him, that we are to go and make disciples. And he tells us this, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. In fact, he says, I'm going to give you something, this gift that's going to help you to be witnesses. This gift is this Holy Spirit, and it's going to come down. We talked about this the last few weeks. This Holy Spirit, it doesn't live around us. It, it works around us but it actually can live inside of you. And it gives you the power, the power to accomplish the mission in this world. As we think about these things, the how, the, how, the when, the, the power, the things that God gives us, 
And, and Paul talks about this even more. He's like, we're his ambassadors in this world. We're the ones that get to tell this good news to everybody as we think about these things. It keeps going on. And, and this passage in 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bible with you, maybe you have it on your phone, you're swiping, you can underline. If you have an actual Bible, these are the things, that, you know, back in the day we didn't have the apps. We, you can underline, hey, these, this is so important. If you have a Bible around you, I'm giving you permission today. There's Bibles, some in, in the racks in front of you on the, on the chairs. You can take a pen and you can write in, in those today, okay? This is how good this passage is. And I want you to underline some things as we go, as we think about the things that are so important for us. It says this, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. You can underline that. That's great stuff. God, this is 5.11 through 17, God knows that we are sincere. Man, what a great prayer. I want to be sincere when we're trying to, to tell others. And I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us. He's talking to the church there in Corinth. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, do you know any Christians that just act a little crazy? They're just a little off, a little goofy. I would make eye contact with some of you in the room, but I, I'm going to, well, Fareed's not here. So, uh, <laughs> and you can tell him I said that. Uh, don't you love Fareed? If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, underline this part. Christ love compels us. It controls us. Since we believe that Christ, here's the gospel again, here's the good news again. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our, our life. With, with, we've also died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer, underline this part, will no longer live for themselves. You know what that implies? One time you did live for yourself, and now you no longer live for yourself. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped, this is a good one to underline too, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. This week, I had a lunch with a friend, and we started talking about faith. And he just kind of, he just kind of turned the question on me and said, which you don't get this very often as a pastor's, like, so why should I become a Christian? Like, why are you a Christian? And it takes you, that, that kind of takes you back for a second. And, the, you know, the first thing that jumped to mind is because, you know, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me, and I have an eternity with him in, in heaven. I'm I, I, looking forward to that. But I just fleshed that out in my, my head and my mind. I was thinking out loud. We had that kind of friendship. I said, you know what? It's not just that, that, that heaven is coming and I'm excited about heaven. Heaven is great. But the reason why I'm a Christ follower is because I believe that Jesus transforms our lives. It's not just about, I got fire insurance. It's about, he transforms people's hearts and his li our lives. He takes us, we were old, our old life, and gives us a new life. He, he takes people that were addicted, people that were selfish and self-centered and lived for themselves, and transforms us into different people, people that were prideful, People that were just everything, just 
just revolved around them and to people that were changed. He did that for me. And he gives us new life. He gives us hope. He gives us purpose. He gives us a future with him. He came to give you not just a life for the future. He came to give you a life right now, full life. That's what Jesus gives us. This is, this is what the gospel is. And that's why, you know, with our, our mission statement as a church, it's pretty simple. You know, we want to help people reimagine life with Jesus. We want to help people reimagine what life looks like with Jesus. And, and that's our hope. We want to give pictures to the world of what that can look like. When was the last time somebody asked you the question? Now, there are, we really don't ask people questions anymore. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't know if it's because we used to ask all the time kids back in the 80s, uh, way back in the old days. Uh, we didn't have phones with uh, time clocks on them where you looked at the clock. We'd ask people, what time is it? Uh, because we, a lot of people didn't wear watches. So we said, what time is it? You know, can, can I have the time? People would ask that. Now everyone knows what time it is. I don't even know why we have clocks, because we, we know what time it is. Everyone has a, a phone in the room. But that's not the question I'm getting at this morning. Another question that jumped in, just jumped in my mind from the 80s, uh, excuse me, sir, do you happen to have any Grey Poupon? Do you remember that commercial? <laughs> Random thought right here in the mind. I wonder if we can YouTube that video. Pardon me, do you happen to have, it? in an English accent, uh, any Grey Poupon, which was like Dijon mustard, which I don't understand that either, but it was interesting commercial. And the answer was, what was the answer? But of course, thank you, but of course. Weird questions. People ask weird questions to each other. People ask me all the time where I work out, but I, <laughs> obviously, that would be Trebekah back in the 90s is where I last worked. Out. Don is not amused. Um, they don't ask me that. But they, people ask odd questions. I don't know if anybody's asked you this question in a while. And maybe it's a good one for us to, to linger on for a sec. What's so different about you? Why, why do you do the way you do? Why what, what do, do you act the way you act? You're just, I, I can't put my finger on it. But there's just something different about your family. There's something different about the way that you carry yourself. When was the last time somebody asked you that question? Because I think that's the pivotal question for us. Now, I know that we've talked about mission and we need to go out and, and spread the gospel, and we do. That's absolutely what we're talking about here. And some of you are inside are just freaking out at that. We're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to, I'm not a pastor. I'm not. It comes down to this question, I think. What makes you so different? See, this is the reason why I honestly think the church has not been super effective in the last several years because the world doesn't see much of a difference in us. I've kind of heard that you're a Christian, but, man, you act like everyone else here at work. You act like everyone else here at our family gatherings. I don't see much of a difference here. I think when the world, they see a difference, they ask questions and people will ask questions in your life. And, and Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3.15. If someone asks you, as you're surrounded in this, this world, as someone asks you your hope as a believer, you should always be ready to explain it. Has anyone asked you what your hope is? What, what's with you? Why are you always so happy? What, what is this reason? I've kind of thought about this. I think we could go with a lot of different directions here, but I'm just going to throw out a, a few things. Things that will attract the question that people will begin to ask this question of us. 
And the first one is this, if we give radical grace, if we give radical grace to people, Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, and he's sending them out to, to heal and to preach and to tell people about him and to turn to God and away from sin. And, and this is what he tells them. Here's the instructions. He says, you know, you've been treated generously, so live generously amongst people. Live generously amongst people. This is the message. Freely you have received, now freely give. I think this can apply in a lot of different places. Freely you, you've received grace, now give freely. You've received gifts from God. Now give those to others as well. I cringed the day that I was at a conference with other pastors. And at the end of the conference, we're about to, ready to, go, about to go to lunch in the world. And the person comes and says, okay, here's the deal. I just want to give everybody kind of a tipping 101 session, okay? Quite honestly, the year before, we got a lot of complaints from the local, local restaurants that... Uh, just not tipping very well. And this is how you should tip. We've even given you a little slide thing to let you know exactly how much is the right amount. Live generously. Live ge- I, don't, I don't know if, if, if you ever worked for tips before, but it changes your perspective in that moment, and it, it's a big deal there. L- l- give generously. Look at people differently. We don't look at the world the same way anymore. Uh, Christmas Eve this year, we didn't have a plan for food uh, afterwards. We had Christmas Eve service here every year, and uh, for some reason, we just were like, okay, we were just busy. Christmas, you know how it is. We didn't have a food plan. And so as we're leaving this place, I said, you know what, Mel, I'll just grab some food, and I'll meet you at the house, which if you know Christmas Eve, about 9 o'clock, not a lot of options at that point, okay? So go to a couple places, struck out. Finally, I'm, I'm at Jack in the Box, okay? Yes, Jack in the Box. I know my stomach just like volcano sound just came up right there with Jack in the Box. We're there, and uh, Noah and I are on this mission to find food. It's wrapped around the building because it's like the only place it's open, and we go inside, and there is a line about five or six deep there at the, the register. I roll my eyes, I get into line, and I'm just trying to keep it together, good attitude, and it takes a while to get to the line. We give our order for the entire family, and we... we, we pulled to the side there. And I, I just had this conversation with, Mel, with Noah, and we do this sometimes, like we guess the time on things. Like we'll guess, how long is this going to take? So he put in like, okay, it's going to be about, he said like five minutes. I said, oh, it's going to be 10 at least before we're, we're, we're leaving here. 30 minutes later. Like I could, see, you know how you can see the people that ordered in front of you? There were like two or three still there. 30 minutes later. And I'm having that like internal conversation and just like, I'm trying not to let steam come out of my, I've just come from the Christmas Eve service, okay, that I led, all right, and I'm just, okay. Now, I'm the person that doesn't like, maybe you, you we're not going to make any, point any fingers or eye contact here, but maybe you're the person that goes to a restaurant and is like, you are like taking a tally on the, the, the waiter, well, they just messed this up and this I'm generally not that person, more, maybe because I'm fearful for my food safety and things that would happen. But I'm having the internal conversation, okay? And it is just like this battle back and forth. And I'm trying not to go there, and I'm there, and then suddenly it just hits me. And I look over at this sweet manager, and it's obvious that she is understaffed. It's Christmas Eve. And she is doing the absolute best to just juggle all this stuff. And she's cooking and doing And it just hits me. I bet this woman has a family. I bet she is 
waiting to, to go home for her Christmas Eve. And I began to, just things began to change, and I saw things a little different. And it, it just, just hit me hard. And Jack in the Box, I know. And uh, I didn't cry, though. I didn't cry. <laughs> and, I, and I just had this epiphany. I said, Noah, we're going to go now. And I went up to her, and I said, ma'am, it's okay. Our order, we, we're, we don't need the food. And she starts, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I just, I almost, I wanted to just grab her hands. I thought that would be weird. And I just said, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're, no, we're, we're going to be fine. Have a great Christmas. Be merciful as, as God has been merciful to us. Pass, let's pass that on. Let's be the people that are just generous in so many different ways of our lives with grace in traffic. Here, I'm going to just practice this. There are moments, and, and I'm not going to go there on the, on the, the scripture will pass this one, but if you read the, the Sermon on the Mount, it just slaps you in the face. When someone says, go one mile, go another mile, when someone takes your shirt, give them your coat too. That's crazy talk. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. What? That's, that, what? When you do, the next time someone cuts you off, I mean, like straight cuts you off or you've been sitting in the single line, that person came on the line that everyone knows is closed and it's going down to one lane and they jump out and they let them in and then wave. Okay? They won't know it's coming. Who are these people? There's a movie uh, and I'll, uh, I'm gonna give you, this is a quick preview. There's a movie that's come that I saw a couple weeks back, Unbroken. I don't know if you saw it. It's a story of, uh, of Louis, and I'm, I'm sure I'll mess his last name up, Zamperini. And uh, oh, you watch this movie, and it's, it's hard, hard to watch. There are time, and he was a runner in high school, went to the Olympics, had dreams and hopes, and he, he gets drafted or it goes into the, the army and military, and he's in World War II, and they're in the middle of this, this battle and and fight, and he actually, his plane gets shot down, and they're in the middle of the ocean. After being shot down, he's in the ocean on a raft for 47 days. He finally finds the shore of the enemy. They're in Japan, so they're captured, and they're tortured. The, these, after being in the ocean in a raft, shark, they had to catch a shark just for food, okay? We're talking irreducible minimum things, that you're getting pretty desperate there, catching a shark by, with your bare hands. And uh, captured, tortured, goes to a camp. There's this awful, awful uh, guard there that's just known uh, for his hideous acts during the war. They just called him the bird. And uh, finally, after years of this just horrible, uh, difficult time, he comes out of uh, the war. And uh, this is a little bit of his story because he was, he was a different person. Hmm. Radical grace. When you have gotten that, you want to give it. You want to give it. Ways that we can track the question. I'm going to hit these pretty quickly. Uh, we seek radical security. If we were to, to raise, we'll just do this. How, how many of you guys struggle with insecurity? I would be one that, that would raise our hands. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're too insecure to raise your hands. Okay? And you maybe struggle with lying a little bit. <laughs> okay, we all, this is a struggle for everybody. To a certain level, I think, that 
that we struggle with this insecurity. It's that moment, I'll take you back to that moment when you came out of the, the cafeteria line with your tray in your hand. You're like, everyone's looking at me. Where am I going to sit? Everyone's looking at my, what I'm wearing and, and, and what I chose to eat. Every, I mean, it's just that, that moment that we're so concerned about what other people think about us. And that didn't stop in, in high school or middle school. And just constantly there, when we, when we realize this grace, when we realize what God has done for us, we don't operate from a place of insecurity, but instead we, we operate from a place of love and acceptance because we realize that Christ loved us, the one who made us, uh, cares for us, and has a purpose and a mission in our life. And when you do that, you stop looking at yourself and start looking at other people. You start to notice other people. There was this guy, the Baptist pastor tells a story about a deacon that wasn't deaking. Uh, he just wasn't doing anything around the church. And so he said, you know what, you're not doing much around here. And so why don't you go with the teens? They go every month, once a month to this elderly home. And I just go and drive them there. So he started to do that. And uh, he would sit in the back while the group was doing their thing and kind of having a service in the front. And he would just stand in the back. And one day this guy willed over to him and uh, didn't say anything, just reached over and grabbed his hand. Kind of, kind of strange, but when you, someone does that, I, I guess you just, you just go with it. And so that's what he did. He just grabbed, grabbed the guy's hand and held it. The next month he came back, same thing happened. This happened month after month after month until finally the guy, he, he didn't see him. When he went to the, the wreck area, he wasn't there. And so he goes back, asks the staff, you know, where, where is this man? And he actually took a turn for the worst. He's in his room, and this looks like he's going to be some of his last hours. He goes to the room, and there's, there's no one in the room. So he goes in, and eyes closed. He grabs the man's hand, and he begins to pray with him. And he prays for this man's salvation. He prays for his life. And with tears rolling down at his cheek, he just... He has this moment with this man, and, and then he walks out of the room. And there is a woman in the hallway that he didn't notice on the way in. And she says, hi, we've been, we've been waiting for you. That's my, my dad in here. And uh, he said this, before, before I go, I just want to hold Jesus' hand one more time. Just one more time, I want to hold Jesus' hand. And we would say, Dad, that, you're going to see Jesus. One day, you know, when you're on the other side, no, 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 Jesus comes once a month. He comes once a month and he holds my hand. We are the hands and we are the feet of Jesus. One more story before we get to, to go to the Lord's table. I told you a Tony Kimbola story last week and I want to tell you, tell, tell you one more. Tony is a, a pastor and uh, he's a sociologist, he's a professor at a college and he tells the story of going to Hawaii for a conference. And he's there, which, man, that's tough living right there, a conference in Hawaii. And uh, being on Eastern time, he, his clock was totally off. And so at about 3 o'clock in the morning, he just has this, he has this urge. He's up. It's time to get up. He goes to a diner. It's just a greasy spoon, kind of a difficult place. Of, probably a place that you wouldn't choose if you had time. Uh, and he goes in, and uh, Frank is the only guy. He's the cook behind the counter, and there are only seats there at the bar where you can sit. He goes, and he sits at one of the seats, 
And he, uh, Frank comes over and, hey, what do you have? And uh, he says, well, I'm, I'm just going to have a, a cup of coffee and a donut. And Frank, this is what he said, Tony says, he, he wipes his hands and goes and he grabs the donut out, puts it on a plate, hands it to Tony with a cup of coffee. And uh, Tony's having his coffee and his donut. And suddenly, the door pops open. And he said, eight prostitutes. And he said, I... I I knew that they were prostitutes. He comes in, and they sat, it's the only place to sit, right beside him at the counter. And they began to talk and chatter, and and suddenly one, her name was Agnes, turns to a friend, and she says, hey, I got a birthday tomorrow. I got a birthday, and I'm going to be 39 tomorrow. And the, the girl says, what is that to me? I don't care about your birthday. And Agnes said, well, you don't have to be like that. It's my birthday, and I've, I've never really had a good birthday. I've never had a birthday party before. And uh, you can just tell, just kind of hit her hard there. The girls left, and, and Tony turns to Frank and says, Frank, did you hear that? Agnes has never had a birthday party before. Do you know Agnes? Oh, yeah, she comes in here every night, the same time, three, around 3.30, Every, every early morning, she is here. And, and Tony says, this is what we're going to do. Do you mind if I decorate the diner, this greasy spoon? Do you mind if I decorate this place? He said, you want to decorate this place? Sure, whatever. And he yells to his wife, hey, hey, we're going to have a birthday party for Agnes. So the wife comes, comes out of the back, and she says, what? We're going to have a birthday party for Agnes? She turns to Tony, he's like, hey, this is, this is fantastic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite people. So she goes out to the streets, and she invites basically every prostitute in Hawaii, it seemed like, and invites them in. The next night, same time, same place. Who's going to bake the cake? Who's going to make the cake? Frank, I'll bake it. That's my job. That's kind of scary. Band-Aid taking off. But okay, Frank, you make the cake, Okay. So he makes the cake. They invite everybody in. Tony shows back up, decorates the place. It just looks amazing. And here pops in, about 3.30, Agnes and her crew, and her eyes light up. She, this is for me? This is for me? And everyone, at the, one, two, three, happy birthday. They start to sing. Tears are just, you can just imagine, flowing from her eyes. And they put the cake in front of her. And they say, blow out the candles, Agnes, blow out the candles. And she, she didn't want to do it. So Frank comes in and, and blows out the candles for her. And everyone's saying, take the first piece, Agnes. And she turns to Tony and says, do I have to eat it? Do I have to cut the cake? And he says, it's your cake. Do what you want with it. And she said, I've got to go show my mom. I've got to go show my mom. She just lives a couple of houses down. And she takes the cake, she walks out, and it's silence in the room, dead silence. So Tony was just, just has one of those moments where it's awkward and silent and says, out of nowhere, well, let's pray, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say when you look back on that moment. Let's pray. So he just begins to pray for Agnes and say, Lord, I hope, Lord, I hope that you would make her a new creation, heal her body, heal her heart and her, her mind. God, be with her and make her new. And he says, amen. Frank comes over to Tony and says, hey, you told me you were a sociologist. You're not, you're one of those pastors. What kind of pastor, what kind of church do you pastor at? 
And Frank and Tony, just out of nowhere, he says, that, just like he said, just God gave him the words. I pastor the kind of church that gives birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And, the, and Frank turns to him and says, no, you don't. Because if you did, I'd go to a church like that. I want us to be a church like that. I want us to be a people like that. I want us to see the world differently. I, I want to get past my own insecurities. And I want to see people not from a human perspective, but from the Lord's perspective with grace and mercy. To do that, I have to continually remember who God is and who, what he's done for me. Our mission in this world, what we've been called to do, every one of us, is to share this love. I hope that you understand that love today. I hope that you get it. This morning, the worship band's coming. We're going to go to the Lord's table. But before we do that, can I just ask you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes? Before we, we go to the table, let me just tell you, some of you might ask, well, these people take communion a lot at this place. Can I tell you the reason why we do that? It's because we need to remember. We need to remember God's love and, and what he did for us. And when we do that physically, symbolically, we hope to pass that on, that grace on to others, that we can serve others and love others, forgive others, pass generously mercy on to others, be the kind of people God has called us to be. Maybe this morning you need to remember. Before you go to the table, you need to remember what Jesus has done for you. Maybe you need to think about the mission that God has given you, the call he's given each one of us. And there's people in your life that you know, you know the light bulb has not come on in their life in this place. And you need to cry out to God and say, God, help me. God, help me to live a life that it's worthy of the question. Lord, help me to, to be the kind of person at, at work, at school. Lord, the kind of person that people just know there's something different about that person. Why are they so happy? Why in the middle of the troubles of life, they're able to say, Man, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done for us. God, Lord, I, I pray that you would transform us, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. God, help us to fully realize it, not in the things that we are hearing, Lord. We, we hear these words, Jesus, but help us to understand it in our heart. And if we understand it fully, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to live it out, to give it out, to pass it to others, Lord, wherever that will take us. Lord, I pray that we would not get so caught up in our insecurities that we're trying to be like everyone else, that we miss the opportunities right in front of us. Jesus, give us words. Help us to tell our story of transformation to others. Help us to have the courage to say, follow me as I follow him. Help us to love well. Praise things in your name. Amen. At our church, we believe in an open table. We believe that uh, communion is a chance for us to symbolically remember what Christ has done for us. And so we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took a cup and he said, this represents my blood that was shed for you. 
we come to the table this morning with gratitude in our hearts and we we go via intention, which means you take a piece of bread, you dip it into the, the cup, and you remember. Remember what Jesus did. And then we want to serve the person behind you because we believe that you should receive and pass grace on to others. So there's a few people I've asked them just to be the first ones to serve. They're going to come down. When you feel like you're ready, come on. Come on to the table. Let's worship and sing as we're, we're doing that. And let's praise God. Thank you. Thank Him for what He's done for us.